Some of them have physical skills, which is more than good enough to be number one in the world today. But then they need to, to do ski jumping. Olympic Channel Podcast. That was Klaas Breda Braven. I'm Ed Knowles, and this is the official Olympic Channel podcast. Each week we find the very best athletes and speakers, and we ask them all about the biggest Olympic talking points. With the winter sports season well and truly underway, we have two very different skiing stories. We sat down with double Olympic champion Axel Lund Svindel for a quick chat about his injuries and ambitions. To try to win the Olympics, I pushed uh, my health a little bit further than maybe I should have done. Olympic Channel Podcast. Well, first, we are fans of ambition at the Olympic Channel Podcast, so we like the sound of a set of Chinese athletes who are looking to represent their country at Beijing 2022 in the sport of ski jumping. One small snag. They have never even been skiing before. Olympic Channel Podcast. In a basement in Norway, 7,000 kilometers from Beijing, 22 Chinese athletes are training to become Olympic ski jumpers. The hope is to represent their country at the 2022 Beijing Winter Olympics. There is just one concern. None of them have ever worn skis before. China has an official government target. They want 300 million people taking part in winter sport as a result of the 2022 Winter Olympic Games. These athletes, the start of that push. Norway's ski jumping boss, Klaas Brede Braden, is heading up the project. In, in general, this project is uh, to estab establish a ski jumping culture uh, amongst uh, a group of Chinese uh, young athletes. And uh, we, we hope to uh, reach a level with some of them so that they are able to compete on international level, meaning the Olympics in 2022, which is quite ambitious. The, the athletes, they are extremely talented but they have never done skiing before. And of course, then they have never done ski jumping. And uh, we, we have to make the natural process of being a ski jumper run uh, 10 times as fast as, <laughs> as it normal, normally has to do. do. But we, are, we have our best people doing it. Uh, it seems like uh, the athletes we have uh, picked for the project is um, much more talented than uh, what we normally get from athletes on uh, on same age in uh, at least in Norway. So, and then of course in Norway we have the best facilities uh, to to do ski jumping training. So um, if we are not able to do it, then uh, then I think it's not possible. But but we strongly believe it's possible. There are around 2,000 people in the town of Oya. There are a few cows scattered in the fields and the clouds are low. It's a chilly day, even in autumn. This little place is one of the world's winter sports capitals, though. If you're voluntarily going to throw yourself down a ski jump, 
you're probably in the right place. Aged from 15 to 20, some of the athletes have gathered in a basement. It looks low-key, but this is where the magic happens. It's less than 24 hours until they make their first ever ski jump. And they're practicing by jumping into a soft mat, face first. Communication is difficult, but they get by using translation apps on their phone and just studying the movements of some of the greats like Maren Lundby on the video screens. Good power. Good power. Klasbreder Braden again. They, they don't have to relate to the traditional way of, uh, of being a ski jumper like you, you, you have to do in Norway. They, they, are, they are willing to do what our coaches tell them to do. And our coaches tell these athletes to do exactly what's the best practice and science are telling us to do. So, uh, so I would say uh, they, they have the, the physical skills uh, on the extremely high level. Some of them have physical skills, which is more than good enough to be number one in the world today. But they, they need to, to do ski jumping. <laughs> and, uh, and I think it's, uh, I think they, since they are here only for ski jumping, of course, we will show them a lot more also, but their main purpose here is to be ski jumpers. Uh, it's, uh, it's possible to run this process much faster than for a Norwegian young girl or boy who uh, is doing ski jumping as a hobby or on the side of school or whatever, maybe two or three times a week in the beginning. These athletes are doing this two or three times per day for the next period till we succeed. What are you expecting of the first day on the hill? Uh, boo, uh, some frightened faces, uh, some, uh, some really happy faces. Uh, I, I really hope and uh, expect to see uh, a lot of uh, enjoyment and uh, a lot of enthusiastic people go with Chinese people who really want to go back and try more. It's the next day and the athletes have gathered in the car park before they take a trip to a ski jumping hill in Oslo. Sai Yujia is an ex-trampolinist, aged 18 years old. I'm happy and I think that I'm really lucky that I have been selected for this project. I love the sensation of being in the air. My background is trampoline and I'm used to feeling like I'm flying, so ski jumping is fun, I really like it. I'm really looking forward to trying, but I'm a bit nervous and I think I might fall. Xiao King Dong is a sprinter aged 17. I got this chance through our country's selection process. When I started training, I found out that it suits me. It's exciting and a lot of fun. I can't wait to feel what it's like to do a ski jump. My biggest concern is falling. And they do fall. Quite a lot, actually. 
Slowly though, they begin to show their skills. And within about an hour, Shai Yuchia started to land jumps. It felt really good, but I'm nowhere near perfect. I have a long way to go. It was okay because I was having so much fun that I didn't really feel the pain. I felt happy. I enjoyed it a lot. Right now, my dream is to work hard and make it to the Olympics. Yeah. The first safe landing is a solid first step, but it's a long way from Olympic competition. Could there really be Chinese ski jumpers at Beijing 2022? Klaus brader thinks it can happen. We want to make an Olympic athlete, at least one, uh, hopefully one uh, in each gender uh, for the Olympics in 2022. That's a, that's a very ambitious target, of course, but uh, we have our best people on it and we, uh, we believe in the athletes. We have the best uh, infrastructure when it comes to facilities in Norway. We, we have uh, quite high, high knowledge about how to develop uh, ski jumpers and athletes in general. So I, I, um, I believe that we can make an Olympic athlete, but, but most important is actually that we are able to create a ski jumping culture in a, in a country like China, because I, uh, I believe that's uh, the, the most uh, valuable outcome of this project uh, when we can um, create uh, ski jumping as a interesting sport for, for the Chinese people, that would be, that would be fantastic. Olympic Channel Podcast. At 35, Axel and Svindel is honest. He's not sure about how much competitive skiing his body can take. He's tasted success most can only dream about. A two-time Olympic champion, he's won more World Cup titles than anyone else. Alessandro Poggi sat down with the Norwegian to talk about his longevity in the sport. And he started off by asking him whether he'd ever received comparisons to the evergreen tennis Olympic champion Roger Federer. Olympic Channel Podcast. I'm not the big tennis fan or meaning I, I'm in a fan like I love the sport I think it's possibly one of the sports with the highest level in the whole world and then uh, watching you know guys like Federer has been good for so long it's very impressive but even more so I think uh, he's a character that um, you can admire even if you don't care about sports whatsoever uh, his his well his character is uh, he stands for a lot of good values and um, that's, uh, it's, I'm a little bit surprised because I never heard that before, so I don't know what to say, but uh, I can't think of any single negative thing that would be, I mean, it would be all positive if uh, someone said that. So I'll say thank you, actually. I think that's the best I can say. But you are quite an example, like Federer, especially with longevity. What's your secret? So it has nothing to do with the personality. <laughs> uh, here I was hoping because he's such a good guy that that was also a part of it, but it's all about the injuries. Okay, I get it. Um, I think I'm pretty relaxed about it. Uh, I have, the, let's say, the fortune that I've been in this sport for a long time and I've had a lot of good experiences and 
I'm, I think I'm grateful for what I've achieved and what I've been able to be a part of. And then for me, I'm not so stressed about the future because I think I'm more, uh, I'm enjoying it and I'm more thankful for what I'm a part of. And then when you get injured, I think I mean, you have more patience to do the work to get back. You, you know, if it works, it works. If it doesn't work, then I mean, it could be worse. So I think that um, the patience and the kind of the relaxed attitude. And then when I say relaxed, I don't mean relaxed like I don't care, but more relaxed like there's things in life you can, you can control and there's things in life it's very difficult to control. And the ones you can't control, you know, they will play out the way they will play out and I don't stress about them. So um, that's, it's not really a secret, but I think it's an attitude that helps in the, let's say, the more difficult situations because everything doesn't always go as planned. And when it doesn't go as planned, I think it helps to have a good attitude about it. The world champion cyclist Peter Sagan has a similar approach. He has tattooed why so serious on his arm. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's, uh, I don't know him, but I uh, watch cycling a little bit and he's a very, let's say, entertaining guy. So um, we're probably, I'm not sure if we're exactly the same, but I think in the sense of uh, how you look at things, it could be similar. I uh, maybe just use, you know, different words for it, but in the sense of uh, how you look at, uh, maybe not life, but how you look at sports, for instance. It's, um, it's, I think it's supposed to be very serious in the moment where you compete. But right after and right before, it can be very relaxed. So in, in what way uh, being the oldest skier to win Olympic gold medal in the downhill, uh, I can't even imagine the pain in your legs after the, a downhill. In, in what way was that achievement the Mount Everest of your career? Um, I think it was because uh, I've had a career with, uh, let's say, it was very steady for a while. You know, good results. Um, a lot of good championships and then I had some years lately with a lot of injuries um, I mean I tore my Achilles in 2014 and then I did my knee in 2016 and I did my knee again in 2017 so basically let's put it this way if the Olympics were not in um, 2018 but they were in 17 16 or 15 I wouldn't be a part of it because I was injured uh, so then to come back and, you know, the first year that I did a full season and to be able to win the Olympics was, um, I don't know, it was just perfect, I think is the best word for it because it's something that you really, really hope can happen. But it's difficult on to say I, I will win the Olympics because you have that one chance, right? And the other guys are so good too. So you need, maybe you don't need luck, but you cannot have bad luck in order to win the Olympics and like that. And for me, I'm, I'm lucky to be able to get that experience after some tough years. And um, I, um, yeah, I, actually, I don't know what to say because right there it was obviously emotional and it was just kind of the, the perfect way to, you know, step back after having three difficult years. You are friends with Lindsay Vaughn. I know uh, that she mentions you as a buddy. She's just announced her retirement. Uh, she's saying that she has uh, to stop because she fears that one day she might not walk. Are you worried about this kind of thing? Did she speak to you about this kind of thing? Uh, yeah, maybe a little bit. Um, we've been maybe in similar situations when it comes to having knees now that are, you know, they're not perfect for skiing. Um, so 
I think I think about that a little bit, but I think about it a little differently. I um, so she's announced now what's going to happen in five months. Um, I like to take things as they come instead of planning. So for me, it will be, you know, it could happen tomorrow that I say that's yeah finito, that's it, or it could be you know some years from now. So I. I look at the situation differently than she does, even though I think our reasoning is the same. Is that, for instance, last year I had um, a lot of problems in the spring to really try to get my knee to function in everyday life. Um, I definitely, in, to try to win the Olympics, I pushed uh, my health a little bit further than maybe I should have done. But you know, it was worth it because I won. But um, it's just something that I will have to take more into consideration now. Uh, and you know, the, as the years goes more and more, and because of that, me and Lindsay, I think we have the same problem, and we look at the end result the same. That we have to be careful, but we are different in our approach and the fact that I want to, you know, gather information every day and make uh, make decisions as I go, and she wants to make a plan uh, that's you know till the end of the season. So um, I really understand her, uh, and I think. It sounds like a smart decision, um, and it could be that I will make a similar decision when the time comes. But uh, I will not announce it, uh, you know, long ahead like uh, like she does. What would be the perfect way to retire? I think the perfect thing would be to just, you know, to start the season off by skiing without pain. Maybe like you just feel like, you know, oh, this is how it should be, and you win races, and you know everything is like the way it should be. And then maybe through the season you start to feel it more and more. And then if you come to a point where, you know, this is too much, but and but you have no, uh, let's say, bad experiences. Like you just feel like this cannot keep on going. And then it could be the end of the season, it could be the middle of the season. But when you feel inside yourself that this was perfect, but now it's time to say goodbye, then you know, you're 100% sure, I think, that's for me is the perfect way to end something when you make a decision that you know that you can look back in two weeks, two days or two years and you will be 100% sure that that was the right thing to do. Olympic Channel Podcast. So last week's podcast was about the other side of winning and how winning can sometimes, well, not be the best thing for a person. That was with triple Olympic champion swimmer, Anthony Irvin. It was a really interesting chat where we talked about Ryan Lochte and his problems, how Anthony grew up with Tourette's, and also touched on some mental struggles and what he's done to combat those sorts of things. At Crick Filaho on Twitter got in touch to say that he was the oldest athlete to win an Olympic gold medal in individual swimming at Rio 2016, which is true. Anyway, if you want to get in contact with us, we are at Olympic Channel across all social platforms. My handle is at Eddie Knowles with an IE. If you want to give us some pre-holiday cheer, then it would be great to give us a five-star review on iTunes or indeed anywhere that you can where you found us. And subscribe. We have amazing stories and great athletes on this podcast every single week. So why would you want to miss out? It also gives us a little boost in the charts. So that's why we ask. Big thanks to Nicholas Vinder, who was the reporter on the ski jumping story, and also to Alessandro Poggi for the Axel Lund Swindle interview. That is it for now. We will see you very soon. Think like an Olympian. Olympian.